Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. It's after midnight, February 27th, 2015. Jana Nemsova has just learned that her father, Boris Nemtsov, has been shot and killed on a bridge right in front of the Kremlin. I told my mother, let's get dressed and let's go directly to the bridge. So they got into a taxi. The radio was on in this taxi and there was the and a reporter mentioned my father's assassination. The driver asked us, why are you going to the Bolshoi Moskvaretsky bridge? I said, because Boris himself was killed there. I said, oh, who cares? Oh, really? Yes. What <laughs> did you like, say to him? I said one thing. It's my father. And then there was ringing call in this car. Just silence in the Total silence. I'm Ben Rhodes. I'm Jana Nemtsova. And this is Another Russia. Episode 6, Mountain of Flowers. As you probably know by now, Boris Nemtsov was a big figure in Jana's life. Because he wasn't just her dad. He was her friend, her mentor, her sparring partner, a moral compass. When he was killed, a black hole opened up in Jana's life. And in Russia, her home. So what was she going to do now? Was she going to try to continue living her life? Or was she going to seek justice? for her father's murder. That night, when she took a taxi to the scene, all she was thinking about was getting to him. And when John and her mother arrived at the spot of the killing, they saw police tape. The cops were everywhere. So then we approached a couple of policemen and I told them, like, I, I'm Boris Nemtsov's daughter. It's my, Boris Nemtsov's wife. Please let us in. Uh, they asked to show our passports just to make sure. What does the policeman say to you? Like, did anybody say anything, condolences no, no, or anything? No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, it's not how the things are working in Russia. No condolences. They checked our passports and that's it. By the time Jana got there, they'd already taken away her father's body. Later, I saw those pictures of my father's dead body lying on the sidewalk and then wrapped into the big black plastic bag. The police wouldn't tell her anything, where they'd taken the body or what to do now. Radio silence. 
Jean and her mom stuck around for about 20 minutes, just standing there. It was an autopilot to a large extent, and I think it's the same for every human being. Then a person faces something like that. He is stuck. He doesn't know how to react. You're thinking, what do I have to do? You're thinking about your father, or are you just trying to think about, like, the things that you have to do I didn't have a chance even to think about my father because I was in a very difficult situation. It's always a tragedy when you lose your parents, but it's a different thing than your father was assassinated because of politics, and it's still the most high-profile murder in the history of modern Russia. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult. I thought I should be the leader of my family. And I had to handle a lot of things. There were so many friends and family to call, practical stuff to arrange. But there was something nagging at her. That conversation with the taxi driver on the way to the bridge, how he had heard the news about her father's death, and he'd said, who cares? Jana was beginning to wonder. Maybe no one else did. Two days later, on a Sunday, Jana's whole family came back to the bridge. And they were joined by 50,000 other people, all there to pay tribute to Boris Nemtsov. I hadn't expected so many people. And it was a moment, I don't know, of, of relief and It was a moment when I didn't feel lonely because after this experience with the taxi driver, it it felt as no one cared about my father and it proved to be profoundly wrong. Some carried flowers, others a Russian flag with a black ribbon tied around it. A few had Ukrainian flags, placards with slogans like He died for the future of Russia. You could feel this grief in the air. People were shocked. People were mourning. It's a huge loss for us. And I think the authorities have crossed the line now. I think a big change is to come. He was a very joyful man, a very honest man. And this crime is so absurd, so horrible. I am speechless. I love our country very much, and I'm very upset by all the bad events that happened here. Of course I speak about this. Boris Nemtsov spoke about it too, and they killed him. It means they can kill me, you, whoever they want. At the spot where Boris had been killed just days before, they laid their flowers down. There were mountains, literally mountains of flowers. And... It was like another sign that my father mattered for Russians. I have never seen it in my life, so many flowers. So many people had turned up. And not just in Moscow. Dozens of cities in Russia held marches. It was one of those moments that you knew this changes everything. It was a real watershed moment in Russian political history. Imagining Nimtsov dead was very hard because of just the vitality and him being so real and alive. This handsome guy with this booming voice and a big crowd around him wherever he went. He was a legend. The guy whom Yeltsin considered to be his successor. 
he dedicated his life to the opposition movement and he was never going to give up. If he was no longer allowed to exist in the most literal, physical way, who and what else also wouldn't be allowed to exist anymore? There was just a river of people. I think mourning both his death as a person and mourning the end, if you like, the final end of that dream and realization of, of what Russia has become. Uh, you know, a country which once was on the path to normality and to being part of the world and open to the world to becoming a fascist state. This public outpouring of grief made Jana realize that she hadn't really had time to deal with her own in private. One evening, she decided to return to the place that her father died with just her mom. I came to that bridge and suddenly I burst into tears and I fell on the mountain of flowers. And then I saw a police car approaching. I just, I was running to the middle of the bridge and I started to yell at this police car, I'm not afraid of you. And then my mom approached and she just took me from this road. Jana wasn't afraid, but she was angry, in part because she thought that Putin, the man who was ultimately responsible for her father's murder, would never be held accountable. Do you remember him commenting on the case? Ah, uh, yes. He didn't come to the funeral. He sent flowers. He sent flowers? Yes. From the president of the Russian Federation. Putin also responded publicly. We must read Russia of disgraces and tragedies like the one we just saw. The brazen murder of Boris Nemtsov right in the center of the capital. He said it was a shameful act and that full and transparent investigations should be conducted and he will personally take it under his control. And what did you think when you saw that first statement? Why did you think Putin was suggesting he'd be personally overseeing the investigation? Well, he wanted to convince the public this assassination was not done on his command. To Jana, Putin's reaction was bloodless and cynical, and it only made things worse. She didn't want Putin to be performing like this. She wanted an independent, honest investigation. In the days after her father's death, Jana was being hounded by the media for comments, interviews. She had never publicly spoken out against Putin before. If she was going to, this would be her moment. But she knew it would cost her. Things were getting complicated at the TV station where she worked as a financial journalist. After her father was killed, top management asked Jana for a meeting. And it was quite a strange conversation. They said, you know, we would like you to stay, we would like you to work. We value you so much as a stock market commentator and we are very happy with your reporting. But they hinted they would like me to stay away from politics 
And in Russia, uh-huh. politics is everything. Yeah, yeah. When you have your own ideas, when you voice any criticism, this is politics. Her bosses were worried that Jana would talk to the media, that she would say who she thought was responsible for her dad's murder, that she would act like her father's daughter. So it was a moral dilemma for me. I could continue with my normal life. I had led before my father's assassination. I was quite an accomplished business journalist. I didn't want anything to change. I played tennis in the morning and then I went to work. And then I met with my friends. I spent some time with my family. So it was a normal life. Jana could keep quiet, go on about her business. But in this case, I could not be very active, publicly active, and I could not do a lot of interviews, things like that. Or I could choose a different path. Just think about the choice that Jana faced. This different path would leave her entire world behind. She'd already lost her dad. Was she ready to put everything on the line? Give up the rest of her life, too? I think I didn't care that much about any consequences. I wanted to be an honest person. I wanted to respect myself. I was so desperate and I was driven by my grief, by my moral duty to my father. And I pretty much understood that my life wouldn't be the same. On March 11th, 12 days after she lost her father, Jana agreed to do an interview with BBC Newsnight. So it was a very emotional interview. I was very blunt. He was a critic of Putin. He fought with Putin, with nobody else. Therefore, it's Putin that you blame for his death? Politically, yes. Can I ask you very specifically, do you think President Putin ordered your father to be killed? I don't have evidence, but politically, he's responsible. Another Russia is brought to you by Karyuma. Between protesting the loss of our rights, canvassing for the midterms, and standing in line for Knives Out 2, I was very excited to see this is coming. I'm a big Knives Out 1 fan. We're all going to be on our feet a lot over the next few months. So you're going to need some quality shoes. Fortunately, we've got just the thing. Crooked has launched a co-branded sneaker with one of our favorite sponsors, Karyuma, with two designs focused on the reminder that while we may be living through a meat grinder of a present, a better future is always possible. Choose from a clean white sneaker with the words, no steps back, or the patented, I voted sticker print. Like all of Karyuma's best-selling Akkas, our collaborative low-top sneakers are made ethically and sustainably from organic cotton canvas, natural rubber, cork, and recycled plastics. That's right, recycled plastics. Your pair plants two trees in the Brazilian rainforest through Karyuma's in-house ecological restoration program. Double the brands, double the impact. A portion of the proceeds from these shoes and any item you buy from the Crooked Store goes to Vote Riders, the leading organization focused on voter ID and voting rights. They inform citizens of their state's voter ID requirements and help them secure the documents they may need to vote. And you can support them just by supporting your own arches. That's right. Take care of those arches in a comfortable pair of Crooked sneakers. 
See both designs and grab your perfect pair at crooked.com slash kicks. After this BBC interview, Jana's purpose in life changed. What did, what did you mean by politically responsible? Politically responsible means that he created an environment in which those assassinations became possible. You know, those billboards plastered across Moscow calling Nemtsov a national traitor? The nightly talk shows? He was attacked. He was sent to jail. So there was an environment in which it was encouraged by the government to persecute Kremlin's political opponents. So that's what it means to be politically responsible. Putin was trying to go out of his way to suggest that he had nothing to do with it. He said he would personally oversee the investigation into the murder. The FSB, Putin's old workplace, named five suspects. All Chechen guys. We'll come back to this detail in a minute. In October 2016, the trial began in a military court in Moscow. Five Chechen men accused of the murder of opposition politician Boris Nemtsov have gone on trial in Moscow. The defendants, who were allegedly promised cash to carry out the killing, deny the charges. The five defendants sat in a glass cage, surrounded by armed guards and a German shepherd. Day after day, the prosecution put forward their case. The version that they put forward, and they're still insisting on that, is that those guys killed my father for money. What? Probably they got some money, yes, but who paid? Jana wasn't interested in who pulled the trigger. She wanted to know who sent them, who was behind the killing, who wanted her dad dead. According to the prosecutors, it was the driver of an associate of Chechnya's strongman leader and close Putin ally, Ramzan Kadyrov. Hence the five Chechens. Now, I want to take a moment to talk about Kadyrov because he's important. For years, Putin has let Kadyrov run Chechnya as his own fiefdom. Since the invasion of Ukraine, you may have seen his social media videos, a thuggish guy with a long pointed beard threatening to invade Poland as soon as his troops are through with Ukraine. Or you may have heard him laughing off rumors that he's been hired to kill Ukrainian President Zelensky. Run, run, Zelensky, he chuckles. Zelensky, biggie, biggie, the interesting thing here is Ramzan Kadyrov is widely understood to be Putin's warlord, the guy who does the really dirty work for him. And the deal between Putin and Kadyrov is as follows. Ramzan ensures the so-called stability in Chechnya, and Putin grants him a lot of powers to do whatever he wants to do. Jana's lawyers wanted Kadyrov to be brought in for questioning because of his link to these five Chechens. He never was. And the man the prosecution said paid for the killing, the driver of his associate, he was never even found. It seemed like the prosecution wasn't that interested in finding out who was really responsible for killing Boris Nemtsov. 
you know that my father was killed on Bolshoi Moskvaretsky Bridge just in the heart of Moscow near the Kremlin. And this is an area of strategic importance. It is packed with cameras. They are almost yeah. everywhere. And if you do something on that bridge, you will not be able to get away with it. So Jana's lawyers asked for the footage from those cameras. They said, there are no cameras there. And then my lawyers sent them like some photos. And on those photos, you could see that like there are cameras everywhere. You can see the cameras, yeah. yeah. You, you just can, can see the cameras. See cameras. And they yeah, denied yeah. anything and they didn't offer any viable explanation. After 10 months in court, the verdict came in. Guilty. All five men. We begin with breaking news out of Russia where the killer of opposition leader Boris Nemtsov has been sentenced. Zaur Dadaev was handed a 20-year prison term. A Russian court has convicted five men of murdering opposition leader and Kremlin critic Boris Nemtsov. The gunman was sentenced to 20 years. His four accomplices from 11 to 19. As far as Putin was concerned, that was that. Case closed. When they were convicted, did you feel like any justice had been done, that the people that did have some responsibility for your father's assassination might have been given prison sentences? Well, I think that justice was very partially done, but I wanted other questions to be answered. Sure, the man who may have pulled the trigger was behind bars. The men who drove the getaway car? But who paid them? Who ordered and organized the whole thing? I wanted the government to admit that it was a politically motivated assassination, right? I wanted yeah. the central investigators. Well, why else? Why else would a bunch of Chechens kill your father right in front of the Kremlin? Yes, and that's that's a big question. As far as I understand, the organizers and those who masterminded it are not punished, and they can continue to do what they want to do to get rid of their political opponents or whatever. So. It's not justice. Do you think he was killed because of his opposition to the war? Yes. So if I look at that from today, I think Putin was preparing for the war for a long time. My father understood it. And he didn't just say it. He carefully scrutinized all the documents, the national budget and its composition. And he realized that the military expenditures have been growing in Russia for many decades. So my father realized Putin was preparing for something big. Putin wanted to get rid of such powerful voices as my father because my father uh, had the potential to mobilize a lot of people. He was an experienced politician and he didn't want those people to be active. Jana realized she'd never get anything resembling justice for her father in Russia. So she took her fight with her into exile. I didn't feel comfortable in my country. I didn't feel secure. 
she moved to Germany for a while. And that's where Jean and I first met. In June 2017, I went there with Barack Obama, five months after his presidency. Jana emailed me out of the blue and traveled several hours to meet me for a drink. Over a glass of wine, she told me her story and asked for whatever help Obama or I could provide in advocating for a real investigation of her father's murder. The problem is that even such brutal crimes tend to be forgotten inside the country and the world. And they did everything in their power to make people forget about my father and about his tragic death. But Jana can never forget. My mission was to keep my father's political legacy alive and to promote his political legacy. So Jana started her new life's work, the Boris Nemtsov Foundation. Today, among other things, it supports Russian journalists and activists who investigate and oppose the Putin regime. I want to build bigger communities of like-minded people, of people who believe that Russia can be a democratic country, who are committed to reforming our country when change comes. Building another Russia. At a time when that seems, well, impossible. Sounds like what her father tried to do. Boris Nemtsov had to know that he might not see things change in his lifetime. But he still turned up to protest. He still handed out pamphlets at railway stations. He still protested the war. After Boris Nemtsov's murder, the Russian opposition found themselves in a new political reality. Nobody was safe. And with Nemtsov gone, Alexei Navalny moved to the forefront. I actually ended up FaceTiming with Navalny over the summer of 2020 for my last book. I asked him, are you afraid? I'm a normal guy, Navalny told me. Of course I have a sense of danger. Of course it's uncomfortable when they're arresting you. Of course it's uncomfortable when you're in this cell and the metal door closes behind you and you realize they can do anything. In 2020, Navalny was poisoned and nearly killed. Alexei Navalny is being treated at a hospital in Germany after a suspected poisoning. Then, like Nemtsov, Navalny went back to Russia. Now he's in a maximum security penal colony. And of course, in February of 2022, Putin launched his full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And dissent inside of Russia became fully criminalized for everyone. Media outlets and human rights organizations critical of the war have been labeled, quote, foreign agents and shut down. Even just talking about the war can get you thrown in prison. Many thousands of people have left Russia, like Jana did years ago. Today, Jana lives in Portugal with her husband, Pavel. But she continues her fight for her country from abroad. And she's not alone. No one knows what will come. But right now, it's a matter of faith. You either believe that it is possible or you think it is impossible that Russia will be a total mess for the years to come. If you think it is impossible for Russia to change, then 
the only thing I would do, I would just give it all up. Yeah. But I choose to believe that Russia could be a better country. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Does the fact that so many things have changed in the time of the story we've been telling, right? You know, from 1984 to the post-Soviet years, to Putin, to the war, does the fact that you have seen and experienced history changing that fast in a strange way give you hope that things might change fast in a better direction? Well, I was born in the Soviet Union, and at that time, my first recollections of those days was that there was no hope. And then suddenly everything changed and my father rose to prominence and all those reforms started and there were a lot of hopes associated with our country, despite the fact that it was not a perfect democracy at all. It was dominated by the oligarchs, etc., etc. And now I feel like I'm more or less in 1984. Yeah. Like, you know, no hope. Yeah, back in time. Yeah, it's like back in time and still you think that it can be different. And so what do we learn from this whole story? You know, Boris Demsov, he fails in trying to build the Russia that he believed in. He succeeds in staying true to his principles to the very end and kind of being correct about Putin. But what is the lesson from this whole thing. So the lesson we should learn that compromises do not save you. Hmm. And inside the country, there were some people who like thought like, you know, we can work in this system. We can still bring some change. We will not publish this and that. Many people tried to make deals with Putin inside our country beyond our country, and what? Compromises do not save you. And that's what my father was talking about. I've known Jana for five years now, and I've come to realize that her own determination isn't just tied to politics. It's personal. It's inseparable from how much she loves her dad. Can I ask you one more thing. It's very powerful for me, I think because I'm a father, although I'm not that old. You clearly loved your father so much. I mean, I'm getting a little emotional just even, it's just so evident how much you loved your father. And I just wanted to ask you why? Like, what was it about him? Well, love is very simple, but it's very difficult to explain why you love one person and you do not love the other person. But it's not just like because he's your dad. There's something else to it here. I'm a big fan of my father. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) I'm just personally a big fan of my father, though I can admit that he was not a saint, obviously, but he was like always a source of inspiration. And he was a very interesting person. And my father loved me very much. I think that that this love for my father, actually, that is the main driving force for me personally in my life. I want him to see how much I have achieved that I'm recording this podcast with Ben Rhodes, who used to work with Barack Obama. So, I mean, I just want 
to share all my life experiences with him. Mm -hmm. I just want to hear his reaction. <laughs> and just, just have him be proud, right? Proud and to criticize <laughs> me as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He should say, I what are you doing that. at the Boris Nemtsov Foundation? <laughs> no, that isn't wrong. Even in death, Boris is still pushing his daughter. Still a part of her life. Still uncompromising. The lessons for me from this whole story? Sometimes to people who are issuing the most dire warnings. The people who say inconvenient truths about how bad things can get. People like Boris Nemtsov. Sometimes they're right. And we should listen to them. Another lesson? Human dignity cannot be compromised for the sake of stability or profit or political gain. And frankly, that's a lesson for us Americans to learn. Otherwise, in the face of our own corruption and autocracy, we could be left insisting that there is another America. Boris Nemtsov's story is a story of what happened to an entire country, Russia, through a period of history that has not yet reached its end. But parts of it are timeless. The image of an individual fighting for what he thinks is right. A movement of people who don't want to live under autocracy. A daughter who loves her father and what he stands for. Another Russia is an original podcast from Crooked Media. It is produced by Samizdat Audio. I'm Ben Rhodes, your co-host, writer, and executive producer. And I'm Jana Nemtsova, your co-host and executive producer. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and Katie Long, with special thanks to Alison Falzetta. From Samizdat, our executive producers are Dasha Lisitsina and Joe Sykes. Asia Fuchs is our producer. All three also helped with writing on the series. Fact-checking by Amy Tardiff. Archival by Molly Schwartz. The series was sound designed by Jeff Entman. And Martin Orstwick composed our theme music and score. If you want to learn more about the stories of Russians who are standing up to autocracy and how you can help support their work, check out nimtsofund.org slash Russians for Change. We will also put a link in our show notes.